you know, as you know, those of you that are from this church, we have an expectation that God is going to visit this whole region. And uh, in, uh, in the words borrowing from Mark, I, I believe that he is building thrones of worship around the earth in that if there's one thing that has been being cultivated here in Spruce Grove, it is a throne of worship. And, uh, and I, I, you know, it's amazing because God says that he, he is looking for those who worship in spirit and truth. God doesn't need a lot of things, but he's actively looking, pursuing, searching out this kind of person. And so we want to provide for God that service tonight. Amen? So let's stand up together. Uh, I want you to feel, if you're visiting, I want you to feel comfortable to express your heart. I want you to feel comfortable to enter in because I believe God has something for you. But perhaps more importantly, we have something for God. That God takes of the fabric of our worship and uses the release of spirit and truth to build his kingdom. And so we are going to honor God. We are going to declare his name. We are going to exalt him. Give him the glory Do his name. Can you say amen? We're going to give him the glory Do his name. So let that, let that mist of worship just begin to rise up out of your spirit. We're going to give you the glory. Let's do your name. We declare your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, we declare tonight that there is none like you in all the earth and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you and you alone are Lord. And we declare it here tonight. You are Lord and we bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. Well, how many of you know we're, we're in the river? We're in the flow of it. I had a few minutes ago the most, I mean, just the greatest insight about faith. And the Spirit of the Lord said to me, he said, Mark, this is the highest purpose of faith. It is expressed in worship. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And when expressed in worship, the thing hoped for is Him. Come on. The thing hoped for, the thing we're reaching into is Him. He says, I'm a reward of those who diligently seek me. That's the purpose of faith. That's what pleases me. Because when I find that kind of faith that seeks me, I'm going to give you me. And what the earth needs is me. Father, we pray that worship would find its perfection in your church in faith. That, Lord, more than praying for cars and healing and all the rest of that, we would apprehend your glorious presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. You know, uh, I've been to 44 countries, and one of the things that I always i am looking for is, God, what is, why, why is the West so blessed? 
And the Lord has said, it's not because we're not without error, but faith, faith expressed in worship has, has been great. And, and there's nowhere like it in the earth that it draws down the presence of God upon a nation. And if this nation has any hope at all, if they, this nation has any future, it's because faith will draw down the presence of God. One of my favorite quotes is uh, one from John Piper in the book, uh, Let the Nations Be Glad. It's a book on missions, but he says the goal of missions is not evangelism. The goal of missions is worship. Missions exist because worship does not. The goal of missions is to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Evangelism is just the first step in that. And so uh, we say, Lord, come. Lord, come. Lord, come. Amen. Well, uh, if you don't know it, you're here for a conference with uh, Mark Dupont. And uh, I'll just say a couple of things about Mark. He's tall. He has a deep voice. And um, he is a building prophet. And I love that because... uh, there is uh, the strategy to his prophetic ministry. And the way that God uses him is, is to build things on the earth. And so I'm really happy that he's come back to be with us. And in a few minutes, we're going to get a chance to hear him in his heart. But how many of you felt during the worship? I don't know. I was trying to figure out what was going on. But I felt like there was this overwhelming weight coming down through the worship, but it was greater than the worship team that was here. It was almost dwarfing the sound of the worship and almost subduing the sound of the worship. There's this weight of the glory of the Lord, almost just hovering, waiting to break out. And uh, and so we're going to lean into God this weekend and Ask God for strategies and how to see that fully released. Amen. But uh, as as we start this evening and Mark comes forward, can I can I ask you to do something? I mean, you know, I was in Red Deer uh, a week and a half ago, and Lance Wallnow says, you know, he says, I, I'm a prophet and I can prophesy. He said, but I try not to. <laughs> he said, because when I start to prophesy, nobody wants to hear me teach. <laughs> he said... And I'm also a teacher, and I love teaching, you know, but it's like people come, and if they see a prophesying or a few people, they quit listening to their teaching, and they're just sort of sitting there waiting, you know, can you give me a word? Can you give me a word? And, uh, and you know, I, I, uh, I mean, it's great getting personal words. I've, I've gotten hundreds of them, and uh, they're wonderful, and they always, they're confirming, and they're, they're faith building, and the rest of that. But, you know, there's, there's something bigger than than just a word for me in my life. I believe strategically that God has sent Mark to impart something for the region, that, that God is building a portal for the river of life, for angels to ascend and descend, for the manifestation of his glory. And, uh, you know, God, God, can, God can pour things out, but it's the sustaining capacity of a people that determine how far that thing goes. 
And so he's building something in us and, in the, in, and by that in the region for us to not only get a breakthrough but to be able to sustain a breakthrough. And so we want to be able to sustain that breakthrough. Amen? All right. So are you, are, are you ready, Mark? All right. Are you ready to receive, Mark? All right. Come on. Good morning. I find that good worship helps wake me up to reality on a deeper level. So let me tell you, we're in a time where, so to speak, um, you remember the parable Jesus uh, gave about the, the, the guy that had the servants in the fields and there weren't enough workers, so he hired more. But at the end of the day, he paid those that had just worked a few hours as much as those who'd worked all day. There's an important principle there about sometimes the last will be first. And in the kingdom of God that, you know, I've, I've been doing what I've been doing now, going to all over the world uh, for about 34 years now. But uh, more and more I meet young people that are just starting out in ministry and they're already miles ahead of where I was at even yesterday. And that's how the kingdom works. And there may be some of you here, maybe you have not even, to the best of your knowledge, been used for a supernatural healing. By that I mean laying hands on somebody and blessing them to be healed. Maybe as far as you know, God has not used you for that. But I want to tell you, we're in a time of acceleration. And uh, uh, I was in Taiwan a couple of years ago, and we did a four-day conference on healing and miracles. And one of the testimonies we had come from that was about a week after, I may have just shared this with you, uh, with you last time a few months ago, but a lady who was part of the church, she was not in leadership, she was not part of the ministry team, she was not a home group leader, and she was just, you know, loved the Lord, but uh, didn't move much in the supernatural. But she came uh, every day to the Healing and Miracle Conference and, uh, you know, just took everything in and received impartation during the times of prayer. And about a week after, she was at a swim hall where she would go to two or three times a week for swimming. And she was waiting for her husband to pick her up. And she's sitting on a bench right outside the swim hall and there were plexiglass walls there. And on the other side of the bench, this elderly gentleman just completely collapses, falls over, and stops breathing. And because of these plexiglass walls, the, the crew inside, you know, that was trained in CPR and all that stuff, they run out and they begin to uh, try to resuscitate the guy. And they're not getting anywhere, and he's turning blue, and he's dying in front of everybody. And she's sitting there at the other end of the bench with this crowd around the guy, just quietly interceding, Lord Jesus, would you please do something? And uh, then the thought came to her, I just sat for four days hearing about how God does miracles today. So she kind of felt awkward. She pushed her way through the crowd around the guy. And, you know, they're trying to do revive him. This is serious stuff going on there. She puts a hand on the man's chest, and she said, In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of death, and I call you back to life. And the old boy sat up and started breathing. And uh, I thought, you know, my first thought was how exciting, and my, thought, my second thought was this isn't fair, you know. <laughs> that it took me a couple of years of building up faith with bad backs and knees and all sorts of things for getting into cancer and other things, and she's just starting at the deep end of the pool. 
but I thought that's really a picture of what's going on today. And so I want to encourage you that maybe if, 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 to the best of your knowledge, God maybe even hasn't used you to authentically, as far as you know, release the supernatural healing, you're thinking, well, you know, don't we have to do that for the miracles? Well, there is the gift of healing, there's the gift of faith, but there's the gift of miracles. I want to encourage you. I think that uh, God has so much more for you than you have any idea. Uh, I want to, uh, uh, I told Mark uh, and uh, Murray, thank you, I'm sorry, Murray, my, my mind went blank there for a minute, uh, when they picked me up from the airport that, uh, you know, I I'm, I'm travel about 130, 140 days a year, wide variety of churches and conferences, church visits, and sometimes it's a very thematic conference like training on knowing the voice of the Lord or vision and destiny or worship, things like that, or healing. And oftentimes it's a theme sort of conference, you know. But uh, I told uh, Mark and um, Murray that uh, I have such an expectation, I've had it for months now about this time with you, that we're just going to experience the presence of God. I may have shared with you, I was here last, in fact, I'm sure I did, that all over the world I'm seeing a lot of churches uh, internationally. I feel like we're coming into a, a two-year season of Pentecost, a real outpouring of the Holy Spirit unto a harvest. And I felt uh, back in December the Lord gave me this picture that we're going from the, a harvest in the hothouse to a harvest out in the fields. And, you know, the interesting thing about a hothouse is even during wintertime, there can be cold, there can be snow on the ground, but if you have that glass or plexiglass hothouse, it's warm inside, so you can still grow vegetables and fruit and things like that, but it's very limited, isn't it? And I think for the last 10 or 15 years, although there certainly have been some good things happening in the body of Christ in the Western nations, it's kind of been on a limited basis compared to what we see in Africa and South America and Asia. But I felt like the Lord said he's now bringing us from a harvest in the hothouse into the harvest fields. And it's time to turn over the fallow ground. There's all sorts of things happening. But uh, God is pouring out his spirit. And I was, uh, two weekends ago, I was, uh, did uh, two back-to-back, a couple of different conferences, one in Scarborough, uh, Toronto, Canada, and the other in um, Stratford, Ontario. And we had uh, a number of healings, but two of the miracles that I felt were rather signs and wonders were one healing happened to do with a lady, uh, I guess she would be in her mid, early to mid-40s, but for 25 years she's had a particular disease that every day for the last 25 years, every meal she ate, she would have both acid reflux but also a tightening internally of her chest against the rib cage. It's just a very rare thing. And so it was difficult for her to eat. And, of course, you have to eat. She enjoyed eating, but there was just a real price to pay every time she ate, two to three meals a day for 25 years. Many of you would say that was a long time. But we had a word of knowledge. I can't remember how exactly to describe the word of knowledge. She came up. And she testified a couple nights later, she is completely healed. And she has not had one day in 25 years without this acid reflux and uh, the tightening of the ribcage, and it's completely gone. And the second healing that I felt was a bit of a sign and wonder was a lady that for a number of years now, this sounds a little bit funny, but she could not breathe out without great difficulty. Uh, She could breathe in okay, but 
any time she had to walk or move, she had to move very slowly. She had to walk slowly. She couldn't walk very much of a distance. And if she ever did have to take in a deep breath, it would come, she would be coughing and gagging to let that breath out. And I felt both of these were a prophetic picture that the body of Christ, we've had really trouble taking in what God wants to feed us. We've had a hard time digesting it. And there's been so much good teaching and preaching, but yet we haven't seen a really a lot of growth and maturity come to the body. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the church meeting down the road right now. But it's almost like, you know, we've been, we've taken in the word of God, but we really haven't been able to process it correctly internally. But secondly, the Holy Spirit's certainly been blessing many, many people, but just as we're to breathe in the Holy Spirit, we're to breathe out the goodness of God, and we've had difficulty doing that. We've had no trouble receiving, but we have had problems giving out to the body, to the, the world at large. And I think that's about to change. And particularly this weekend, I don't know what it's going to look like, how it's going to happen, but um, my, my faith is, based upon what I sense the Lord saying, and that you all are coming into an incredible season. And even uh, today, just thinking about the fact that you're up here in an area where uh, oil comes out of rocks, that uh, God wants to start bringing living water out of the rocks, the living rocks of his people in a way we've never realized before. In Psalm 78, verses 15 and 16, it reads that God splits rocks in the wilderness and he gave them to drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and cause waters to flow like rivers. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the two times that the Hebrew people ran out of water in the wilderness, and I'm going to speak about that tonight, and God brought water out of the rock. It wasn't just a trickle. It wasn't just a stream. It wasn't just barely enough, but it was streams. It was like rivers. I want to read that to you again, what it says in Psalm 78. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them to drink abundantly. Say abundantly. As from the deep, and he made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. This is not only biblically, but in our, uh, my prophetic ministry over the last uh, many years, water seems to be a central theme that I've often prophesied in different places. We had just moved to Toronto, Canada in mid-May of 1992, and we ended up, uh, we, we made this move in time to arrive in Toronto a week before we were doing a prophetic conference at Singing Waters Retreat Center, which is in Orangeville. And our church at that time, that was called the Airport Vineyard at that time, uh, we were only about 120 people. We had been up to about 160, 170, but we sent people off to a different part of Toronto to start a church. So we're down to about 120, which is a good number. Hey, upper room. But uh, uh, we had about 100, 120 people for a three-day um, prophetic conference at Singing Waters. And it was the second day there during uh, a time of worship and that's when the Lord gave me the vision, it turned out to be a four-page vision, of Niagara Falls coming down from heaven over the city of Toronto. And uh, that word was transcribed. It's been put into several books. 
But basically, it was a prophetic word that in late 93, early 94, about a year and a half after that word, after I gave it, that God was going to do something in Toronto that was going to go to the nations that had never happened in southern Ontario before. And then, sure enough, in early, uh, in mid-January, late January 1994, the move of the Spirit hit and just went all over the place. And again, the picture was of Niagara Falls coming down from heaven. And part of the vision the Lord gave me was I saw it hitting stones. And as most of you know, the Bible talks about we are living stones being fit together. But in this vision the Lord gave me, as I saw Niagara Falls coming down with great force and power, I saw it hitting rocks that, although these were the living stones to make up the church, these living stones didn't fit too well together. If you've ever seen, of course you've seen, you know, like a stone wall or a house made of stone, it's all smooth. It may have different angles, but it's smooth and how the stones fit together so they can make it be compact and build up that house. But in these stones I saw the living waters hitting, there were all sorts of projections, bumps and protrusions. And Lord says these bumps and protrusions are things like pride and selfishness, self-centeredness that keep the rocks from coming together and being tight together to form the, uh, the church not made with hands, as the Bible talks about. But as we saw people, literally millions of people in the next five, eight years come from all over the globe, people humbled themselves. And I remember one testimony from an American evangelist, uh, kind of evangelist prophetic ministry. And this guy was probably already in his early 50s. He'd been ministering for at least two to three decades, had quite a reputation, quite an established ministry. But he was going through a bit of burnout, and his wife said, I want you to go to Toronto. And he said, oh, that's that place where, you know, people are just laying on the floor and laughing their heads off. I don't need that. I just need to pay attention to my vision. And his wife said, you go to Toronto. So <laughs> how many of you know there's an anointing God gives women called nagging? <laughs> it's kind of like Jesus' mother. He said, son, they've run out of wine here at the wedding party. He said, what's that got to do with me? My time has not yet come. She kind of looked at him and said, son, I know you just said something very deep prophetically and theologically that goes beyond my understanding, but do something. <laughs> yes, mom. <laughs> Bring me those six water pots and fill them up. So he reluctantly, he came to Toronto and uh, he came the, uh, to a meeting the first night and he wasn't all that impressed with the preaching and... Uh, then they invited people up who wanted prayer, and we had all the prayer lines out throughout the whole sanctuary. And uh, he wasn't really expecting to receive anything, you know, because God used him for healings and miracles. Lots and lots of people been saved, and what is this church going to be able to do for him, you know? And to make matters worse, when he went up, the person in the ministry team that came up and prayed for him was about a 14, 15-year-old girl. And uh, at one point, at the height of the renewal, probably about 98, 99, we had over 300 people on our ministry team. And a lot of those people were actually from other churches in Toronto, but they'd been so enamored with the move of the Spirit. They came to our church, went through the ministry team training, and they would come once a week, sometimes twice a week, and serve in the ministry teams. And uh, I don't know what church this young girl was from, but uh, she comes up to him. He's standing in line with a bunch of people, and she said, can I pray for you? 
And, you know, he's thinking, what is this, you know, young girl can have for me? But just to be polite, he said yes. And his testimony is he woke up three hours later. (laughs) There's hardly anybody else left in the room. Got up off the floor, managed to get back to his hotel room, and he said he entered into a whole new season in life with the Lord, with ministry from what he'd received, and it began that first night. But he had to humble himself, didn't he, to go to a place that he didn't really think that much of. And he had to humble himself to let a a young girl pray for him that he doesn't think is going to have anything according to what he's experienced. But when the waters come, it's not just that God fills us up, but he deals with issues within us. Maybe that's the reason why it's a bit of a prophetic thing that we've had trouble taking in and digesting what the Lord has for us. But when God brings the living waters, as he wants to do here in Edmonton, it's not just a trickle. He wants to bring streams. He wants to bring a river of it in just a huge way. Now, the Hebrew people, most of you know this quite well, Shortly after they came out of Egypt and shortly after Pharaoh and his army drowned in the Red Sea, the Hebrews had crossed on dry ground and then the Lord brought the walls of water in and, and Pharaoh and his army drowned in it. But they come to a place in Exodus 17 and obviously this is a desert environment and there's no water. And the people went through what I call church protocol. The people first complained to the pastor, and then the pastor complained to God. That's how church life works. (laughs) But uh, that's what happened. And it says that God gave Moses instructions. It says that in Exodus uh, 17, starting verse 6, God said, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, and those words mean quarreling and place of contention, because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And you know, this is really the question we deal with when we're going through a difficult situation. We normally don't really deal with the theological question of can God deliver or can God heal or can God bring water to the rocks, but is God really with us? Does he really love us? Has he really given us his Holy Spirit? And this is why one of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. This is why in the Hebrew, one of the names of God is Jehovah Shammah, the God who is with us. It, uh, I think it's a little bit funny sometimes when I hear Christians saying that they wish they could just go back to that state of that relationship that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden, that uh, you know they could gaze upon God, but actually we've got something much better. They could be with God, But if we've given our lives to Christ, we are now in God, and God's in us. You see, this is always the relationship God has always wanted. 
Have you ever thought about that message that Jesus gave in John chapter 6 that turned everybody away? Even the larger group of his disciples of the hundreds, even they stopped following him when he began to talk about eating his body and drinking his blood. People just couldn't take it in. Even the 12, you know, Jesus went, are you going to leave me too? And they said, well, you have the answers for life. There's nowhere else to go to. They didn't understand what he was talking about. It was such a bizarre thing for him to have said. Now, of course, we can equate it to communion and the, the transition that takes place, giving our life to him and coming within us. But, you know, doctors and scientists more specifically teach us that every seven years, every single cell in your body is replicated, even the cells that make up your bones. You are what you eat, which probably means you should cut down on those Tim Horton donuts, but that's another message. But we are what we eat. And Jesus was giving the most graphic illustration that he possibly could that he wants to be so much a part of your life that you're like what you eat that goes and internally replaces the existing cells that you have. And it's not just a question of can God heal, can God deliver, can God bring a breakthrough for us, but is he really with us in the fullness that the Bible says he is? And he absolutely, absolutely is. And he is in the business always of doing the impossible, bringing water out of rocks. It's interesting. It's In fact, it's a little bit enigmatic that this place they were at, it was a place called Rephidim, or Rephidim, however you pronounce it. And what's interesting is Rephidim, or Rephidim, in the Hebrew, it means a resting place. Well, what kind of bizarre resting place would it be if you're in the desert, cactus, snakes, everything else, and there's absolutely no water? I can't think of a less restful place to be at. But could it be that God calls us to get our comfort, not from what we see around us with these eyes, but what we're to see in the Spirit? Could it be that God wants us to derive our comfort, not from us being in control of the situation, but from the Holy Comforter, the Holy Spirit? You see, we base our lives not upon the things that we see, but upon the things that we don't see. I love what Catherine Coleman, the incredible miracle worker, said, that the things that she doesn't see with these eyes are more real to her than the things that she did see with these eyes. And here, it's called to be a resting place, but in the natural, there's no rest whatsoever because in a desert environment, you know, in a few days without water, you die. It's a little bit enigmatic, But then again, David said, the Lord can set a banqueting table for you even in the midst of your enemies. We look at the problems and the growing tensions in the world today, and we look at all the stuff happening in our Western world culture today, all the questions, and the question then arises, can there really be a move of the Spirit? Can there really be a wholesale move of evangelism? What's interesting, when you study the uh, history of the church of the last 2,000 years, times of revival, when cultures have ended up being transformed by the kingdom, by the gospel, 
Oftentimes, it seemed like the very most unlikely times. You know, when the Great Awakening, two different times, hit the United States a couple hundred years ago, that it was a very unlikely time. When the revivals came to England, England was in a terrible condition a couple hundred years ago. We look at what happened with um, Idi Amman in, in Uganda and the terrible persecution and the, the, the wholesale murders that took place. But you know what happened that time? Revival took place. And we look at all the tension in the Middle East. Do you know that in nations right now like Egypt and Iran and Iraq, there is a harvest going on that has not been going on on this level, maybe in the history of, of their people. There is something happening right now. And in the United States and Canada, we look at all the questions we have, what we see happen in our culture and everything else and all the questions before us. And, you know, being from the United States, we have a whole lot of serious questions going on right now, not least of which is what's going to happen with North Korea. But what's interesting is there's actually an incredible move of the kingdom of God happening right now in North Korea. And there's so much prayer going on. And so we don't look to the things, just what the the talking heads on television or the Internet are telling us, but we say, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? And we understand that God is in the business of bringing water out of rocks. I want to read something to you out of Second uh, oh, Kings chapter 3. And this is actually about Elisha. And I love the stories about Elijah. And Elijah in the Hebrew means Jehovah is God. But there's something incredible about the young man that he'd mentored that God ended up raising up to be the, the main prophet of Israel after him, and that was Elisha. And in contrast to Elijah, which means Jehovah is God, Elisha means Jehovah is salvation. He is your Savior. It's, it's very close to uh, Yeshua or Joshua. But do you know that the very first miracle Elisha did when he came back across the Jordan after parting the waters there, when he said, where is the God of Elijah? And he walked across on dry ground, and the school of the prophets greeted him. Is they said, you know, we live in a pleasant place, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. What an enigmatic thing to say. We live in a place that's very beautiful, but you can't drink the water and nothing good grows here. It doesn't make any sense. But I think spiritually, this is a picture of where a lot of us are at in the Western world. I live in San Diego, California. San Diego has, has, literally has the best climate on, on average in the United States. We've got beautiful beaches where I live. I can be in within 15, 20 minutes at amazing beaches. And, I, and then in 15, 20 minutes the other way, 20, 30 minutes, I can be in the mountains. You drive an hour and a half, you can be in the high desert. And San Diego is just a very beautiful place, a lot going on culturally, little Italy and all sorts of things going on. But, you know, it's been very difficult for the gospel there. And we can look at it, it's a pleasant place, but there's a lot of unfruitfulness. And a lot of the water, what's happening, what's coming spiritually, culturally through people, it's poisonous. But that first miracle uh, Elisha performed 
was he made the bad water good and it remained fruitful from that time on. But here there's a second story about uh, Elisha, and I'm not going to go into all the background and take much time. But he said in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15, Bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. I appreciated uh, that uh, quote Mark shared, Pastor Mark shared from um, John Piper, that, you know, it goes hand in hand with the, uh, so to speak, the, the famous Anglican catechism that the chief end of man is to enjoy God. The chief end of man is to enjoy God. How did that quote go, Mark? The white hot enjoyment of the glory of God. And it is so true that, you know, God is, is not, he's not like us. He's not in some popularity contest with the devil who see who can get the most souls at the end of the day. He, he's, he, 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 he's not insecure about who he is. He wants to raise up a people that are so caught up in his goodness that they can't help but worship him. When God told Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go so they may worship me, it wasn't because God's on some ego trip and needs to be stoked in order to feel good about himself. It's because when we come into worship, we're taking our eyes off of ourselves and we're seeing God more as he truly is. And as it says in Psalm 36 verse 9, in his light we see light. And when you gaze upon him, all of a sudden, all these what-if questions, uh, what questions about your life. Is this going to work out? How do I know what's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen in this dilemma? All of a sudden, you realize you don't know the specific answer, but you realize you know the person who has the answer. And you realize that what's impossible for you is never difficult for God because he's in the business of bringing water out of rocks. And so he said, bring me a musician. And no doubt they played a worship song. And the hand of the Lord played a, came upon him. And then he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water. So you will drink, you and your livestock and your animals. And this is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. It is so easy for the Lord. Now, I want to say something about this, that a lot of times, myself included, when we have a Holy Spirit anticipation that God wants to do something, we go into default mode of thinking it's going to look like what we experienced last time around. And, you know, at the height of the outpouring of the Toronto uh, uh, outpouring, uh, oftentimes the meetings were characterized by, you know, you could be in a uh, conference there in Toronto or other places around the world at that time, and maybe there'd be 2,000 people. Sometimes there'd be 500 or 1,000 people at one time completely engulfed with holy laughter to the point where you'd have to back off the preaching, just wait for those waves to come. And just lives were transformed at that time. I remember one testimony we got on videotape of a couple who'd come all the way from South Africa for one of our uh, 
four, five night, four day conferences, and this couple spent every day at the conference and night just laughing uncontrollably, a lot of times on the floor. And so uh, one last couple of days, we interviewed them and uh, said, where have you come from? What's God doing in your lives? And they said, well, uh, we came from South Africa, and we came here as a last-ditch effort because our marriage has been terrible for years now. We've tried counseling. We've tried prayer. We've tried deliverance. We've forgiven each other over and over. Nothing seems to work. And um, we thought, okay, we'll give it one more shot. We heard about the outpouring, so we came here. And they said, we came the first meeting, and God just met with us, and our hearts have just been transformed with the revelation of the Father's love, his joy. And we were laughing uncontrollably, and the guy and the couple said, we got back in our hotel room that first night, we got down on our knees, and we asked each other forgiveness for the hardness of our heart, and we rededicated our marriage vows to one another. We redid our marriage vows right there in the hotel room. And he said, the last four days, we've just been, we're a new couple. And the interviewer said, well, how bad was your marriage? And the guy started laughing again. He said, this is how bad it was. One night, my wife was chasing me around the house with a butcher knife. I don't know if you've ever had tensions in your marriage, but I think the butcher knife factor is kind of, it's got to be up there on what a marriage counselor would say. This is a problem, you know. (laughs) But... uh, You know, there was just so much renewal uh, going on, but there were certain classic signs like, and people a lot of times shaking from the power of God just uh, for sometimes hours and days. And I still see a lot of that happening in some places I go to, but yet our human nature is we want to make a monument out of the things rather than keeping our eyes on the Lord. And it's a little bit like Peter, James, and John, when they beheld Jesus in glory in the mountaintop. Peter says, Lord, it's good that we're here. We'll make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But a cloud came down, and the Father interrupted Peter, even while he was still speaking. And he said, this is my son. Listen to him. And in a sense, it was a rebuke. The Father was saying, Peter... I don't want you to make a monument even to what you experienced five minutes ago. Stay current with the current. Keep listening. Don't be focused on what you've received. Be focused on my son. But I want to say to you tonight, it is an easy, easy thing for God to pour out his spirit, to take the dry grounds. I'm not talking about naturally. You have more than enough rain here, I think, compared to where I come from anyway. But uh, I'm talking about spiritually, it is an easy thing for the Lord to bring water out of rocks. And that's what he's going to do right here at Edmonton. He's going to pour out his spirit. And Elisha went on to prophesy, he will also give the Moabites into your hand. And I feel like the Lord's saying, there's a harvest that he's going to give into your hands, including people you might think right now are really far from God. But it's interesting that Elisha said, bring a, bring a musician. And that worship is this gift God has given us. And it's interesting, of all the things we can do for the Lord, the best thing is to be obedient, you know, whatever that involves, whether it's teaching Sunday school or sharing the gospel with somebody or going on a missions trip. But the one thing we can do that's totally unique 
is to worship God. Because even if it's a song that you've sang a thousand times before, when you speak out or sing out those words of praise, you're creating something that didn't exist a second before. You're creating a joyful sound to the Lord. Worship, as it talks about the priest in the holy place, they would burn the incense to the presence of the Lord. It is one of the very few things we can do that are not for the Lord on his behalf to the crowd, but we're ministering to the person of Jesus. Mark and I were talking as he picked me up from the hotel that, uh, uh, you know, we were both sharing that one of the things we really have a problem with that, that with some churches and conferences is they'll sing worship song. Actually, I don't even think they're worship songs, but song after song after song about who I am in Christ and what I get out of worship. But that's not really worship. That's narcissism. That worship, it says in Hebrews 13, 15, is to offer up the sacrifice of praise, meaning we take our eyes off of ourselves and we're gazing upon the wonders of who he is. And it's in that place of dying to self that we really come into the fullness of who, what God has for us. Are you still alive? Yes. So, God said to Moses, Take your staff, which represented his anointing, swing it, and hit the rock, and water will come forth. When I first started off ministering, especially in the spirit, in prophecy, and healing, and deliverance and things, it seemed like it was a whole lot of work. It seemed like just to cast an addictive spirit of bubblegum chewing out of somebody it would be straight out of the exorcist movie. We'd have about 15 people to hold the victim down and you know, be hours of head turning and all sorts of things. But, but we got that bubblegum spirit chewing gum out of there, you know. Um, but over the years, what's interesting is we've found that deliverance has gotten very, very easy. And that sometimes we don't actually even go into a mode of what some people call deliverance, but we just bless people to be filled with the Spirit of God, and all of a sudden there's no room any longer for the demonic stronghold to be there. And I'm not saying there isn't a time and place, but what I am saying is what used to be so difficult, we now find uh, very, very easy. And the same is true with healings and miracles. I know when I was here last time with you, I, I most likely shared the story of the young man about 13 years ago at the conference in California who was healed of... Uh, severe epilepsy. He was in the top 98 percentile. And I, I probably related to you that in the video testimony we have of this on our website, when I first prayed for his son, the father brought the son four nights in a row, the father was angry with me because I only prayed for his son 10 seconds and then walked off. And, you know, his son, who's now 12 years old, that's been a severe epileptic for five years, is turning into a vegetable. He's never going to have a normal life, and he brought him every night, and it's at night when he would have his seizures. He's angry. He gets, gets this quick prayer. But to his surprise, that quick prayer was all the Lord needed, and the Lord completely, 100% healed his son. His medication he was on was so strong, it took two years to slowly uh, uh, get him off of that medication. 
But he went from becoming a vegetable. He learned how to swim. He made a high school swim team, the water polo team. He ended up becoming a United States Marine, and he was even training uh, young recruits in physical fitness. But the father shared that what you prayed, and, and I didn't remember it. This is now 13 years ago. We found out about this testimony three years ago. But the father said, you only prayed in the name of Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of affliction called epilepsy, and I pull the hooks out of your nervous system in Jesus' name. And then you walked off. And I've thought about that since I found out about that miracle many, many times, that when we pray for somebody or even in our daily prayers or intercessory prayer, oftentimes we're thinking, did we pray exactly right? Did we quote the right scriptures? Did we, you know, did we have the right tonal inflection? And there is something to be said for praying the scriptures and praying with humility, and, and you know, there's a lot to be said for that. But at the end of the day, it's the name of Jesus, as we sang tonight, this name that's above all names. And when Moses was first starting out here, it's only been maybe a month or two since they came out of Egypt, throughout this place with no water. They had to work the anointing, just like I remember so much that we'd have to pray and pray and cast out demon after demon after demon to get anywhere, you know, 30, 35 years ago. But now, a lot of times it seems so easy. And the picture of this is about 39 and a half years later, as they're soon about to come into the promised land. How many of you know that after 39 and a half years, you should learn a few things? About a few of you are alive here. Let's, let's grow up before we grow old. Hello? <laughs> but 39 and a half years later, they end up at another place where there's no water, and they go through the same motions again. And you can read this later on in Numbers chapter 20, verse 8. But God said to Moses, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and speak to the rock. The first time he'd said, Take your staff, which represents your anointing, and you need to work a little bit, hit the rock. But after 39 and a half years of experiencing the cloud of glory by day, the fire by night, the miracles they'd seen, the manna from above, all of it, God expected them to have a greater faith in the presence of the Lord. And so this time, the Lord said, Speak to the rock before their eyes to yield us water, so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and to give drink to the congregation their cattle. And so Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded them. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And Moses said to them, Hear now, you rebels. How many of you think maybe there was a little bit of a bitterness going on in his heart there? (laughs) Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. It says water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, you shall not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. 
That generation, that younger generation, they entered in, but Moses was not allowed to. He was allowed to ascend a mountain and nearby, near the Jordan, to gaze across the river and see it, but he did not enter in. What was his sin? Did he commit adultery? Did he steal money? Did he worship a false god? No. After 40 years plus of knowing the voice of the Lord, he did not take it seriously. After all, he had developed a method 39 and a half years before, hit the rock, so now I'll do it twice, and maybe we'll get twice as much. But I want to make a point to you, in addition to what I've already made, that as we grow in the Lord, we're supposed to have a greater confidence in the presence of the Lord. But secondly, the rock, biblically speaking, is always a picture of Jesus. He is the living rock. He said, who's ever thirsty, come to me, and streams of living water shall come out of your innermost being. One time, God told Moses to hit a rock. Only one time in all of history will the Father ever allow Jesus to be struck. Never again. Never again. He will never be a victim again. He will never never go through that torture again. He will never be mocked and ridiculed like that again. That when he rose out of that cave... He rose up and entered into the destiny the Father had appointed to him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Father will never allow him to be hurt again. When he comes back to this world, every eye will see who he is. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess who he is. And I would like to suggest to you that I think sometimes without realizing it, Christians are a little bit abusive of Jesus when they pray. By that, I mean that I'm not saying this is intentional and maybe it's just a growing stage, a learning curve, but sometimes we are more in the mode of telling God what to do. Jesus said in John 14, verses 12 through 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I do, and greater works will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask, say the word ask. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 16, verses 23 through 26. In that day you ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until you now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you receive, and your joy might be made full. I have overcome the world. I have said these things to you. Speaking figuratively, but the hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask, say ask, in my name. I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, because the Father himself will hear you. Now, 
It has come in vogue in a lot of church circles, especially with Charismatics and Pentecostals the last 10, 15 years, to proclaim this is going to happen and that is going to happen. I would challenge you, especially with some of the stuff on the Internet, to follow up and find out how little of that has actually come to pass. Could it be that we're confusing faith with presumption? Could it be that we sometimes confuse good ideas for God ideas? You see, to proclaim something in the name of Jesus, to make a prophetic decree, there's no authority in it unless it's actually coming from God himself. You know, there's a reason why so many, pro- so many so-called prophets only have a platform on social media. It's because that's a platform they've created. God isn't giving them a platform. And I constantly see these things. I'm proclaiming this. I'm proclaiming that. But yet, so much of it is so nebulous, and so much of it, when you follow up, it never comes to pass. Now, is there a time for making proclamations? Yes, there is. We look at, for example, uh, Peter and John walking up to the temple, as they did every day to teach. They walked by the lame beggar. They had walked by that man dozens of times because everybody in Jerusalem knew about that lame beggar. He was like a piece of furniture there. That's why when he was healed, it created such an uproar because everybody knew this man. But what that means is because the apostles were teaching daily in the temple, they had walked by that man dozens of times. Most likely, Jesus had walked by that man five or six times. But that day, the Holy Spirit, so to speak, turned on a light switch of faith. They were not moving in a good idea. It was a God idea. You see, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God, what he speaks. Faith does not come about just dreaming or strategizing what I want to happen. And there is, a, there is an incredible relationship between brokenness and authority. Now, by brokenness, I don't mean woundedness. God wants to heal you of all of your woundedness, 100%. But by brokenness, I mean a place of living out of absolute dependence upon God. That's what Jesus lived out of. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass, but not my will, but that your will be done. We think about the term that God gave Abraham, El Shaddai, God Almighty. But in the Hebrew, what Shaddai really means is the breasted one. What a strange word that must have been for a man almost 100 years old, To get from God, you're going to have to relate to me like an infant receiving a mother's milk. In the same way, it was so strange for Nicodemus to hear this word from Jesus, you must be born again. But here's Abraham, that even though he and Sarah did not have their own child, he was incredibly successful. He was very wealthy, had his own private army, had a huge amount of followers. His name, Abram at that time, met revered or exalted father, very successful in every avenue of life. But yet this one, he and Sarah did not have their children. 
But God said to him there, My name is El Shaddai, the breasted one. But he also, in that context, gave Abraham a new name. He changed his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, a father of multitude of nations. But you see, the key was, if Abram was going to, as a lifestyle, go to be Abraham, going from being an exalted father of his little circle to a father of nations, he had to learn a childlike, infant-like dependence upon God. Moses, nobody has ever, since time Moses moved in the miracles and signs and wonders Moses moved in. But you know, it also says that Moses was the most humble person that ever lived. And we even see when there was a rebellion that came against Moses, rather than attack people, he got in his face before God and said, Oh God, what do you want to do here? Moses was not about himself. Moses was about God. Jesus was about God. Abraham learned to 100% to be about God. And so don't confuse brokenness with woundedness because woundedness, God wants to heal us. But Jesus said, you know, uh, uh, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you're a place, especially as a Christian, saying, God, I've got to have more for you, of you. I'm desperate for you. That's the key tipping point that brings us into a greater position of authority. But I see so many people wanting to assume authority, and there's never any reality to their words. Their words fall flat on the ground. There's no life in it. Now, again, there are times when God does give prophetic decrees, and I I know there's been uh, several times I can think of. One time I was... Uh, in a conference in Norway, and I would go and give me a word of knowledge to pray for people with bad backs. And we had about 20 people up front, and right in the midst of praying for these people who have bad backs, the Holy Spirit interrupts what I'm doing. Do you know the Holy Spirit happens to have a problem with the church? He happens to think he's God. That's the problem. But he interrupted what I was doing, and he said, Stop right now. There's a woman here who's 25 years of age, She's in intense pain. She's just a month or two away from a stomach operation. She's already had two stomach operations, and I want to heal her right now. And so I stopped praying, and I said, is there a woman here? You're 25 years old. You've already had two operations. You're scheduled for another. You're in intense pain. And from the back of a crowd, a woman lifts her hand, and she was in so much pain, she had just flown that afternoon from Oslo to Bergen, Norway, where the conference was. Her parents had picked her up. And she was scheduled to have another operation in a few months. She couldn't work. She, she had been on disability for years. And, uh, and she couldn't even get up out of her seat. She was in so much pain. And I'm about to walk back and pray for her. And the Holy Spirit just came in and said, right where you're at, be healed now in the name of Jesus. She was 100% completely healed. And I've seen that sort of thing several times. Most New Testament prophecy is conditional meaning that God has given an invitation that if we will respond to what he's saying and respond to his ways, then we can walk in what he wants to release. But there are occasionally sovereign words. The word about Toronto was one of those. God saying, I am going to do that. But I believe we have a huge problem of presumption, the body of Christ. And we've. the best way I can explain it is this. Because unintentionally, 
we've lost a bit of the revelation of the majesty of Christ, it's opened the door for presumption to come in. And here, some four or five times, Jesus is speaking about your prayers will be answered. But he doesn't talk about what you proclaim, what you decree. He said, what you ask. Now, you can pray and pray and pray, ask and ask and ask, and then all of a sudden you're filled with faith, and then you can make that decree. But the foundation is this. God is the great I am, and you're the great you're not. Does that help anybody? I know this may be a hard message to hear, but nothing's changed in what Jesus said from 2,000 years ago, that if you want to come after me, pick up your cross daily. For Jesus to pick up his cross, he had to pray that prayer. Father, if it's possible, let this pass, but not my will, but your will be done. Are you still alive? And so, Jesus... Just one time, as the rock of God, he was pierced, he was cut, and forevermore living waters are flowing out of him. But as I already mentioned, according to, first, according to Peter, but also uh, other places, we are the living stones being fit together to make the church not made with hands. And sometimes there is not a woundedness but a brokenness God will allow us to go through because he wants to bring us into a place of greater fruitfulness and greater authority. So God said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me and uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Do you know one of the number one ways in which God brings brokenness into your life? Through other people. Sometimes it's someone that, as the scripture said about Jesus, someone that you've shared your bread with. Maybe it's a former husband or wife. Maybe it's a former businessman who stole from you. Maybe it's someone that in confidence, you shared some deep, dark secrets with, and they went and blabbed it to their 500 best friends. Maybe it was from a pastor of another church who hurt or manipulated you or wounded you. It could be from a, maybe a, a relative, a sister or brother, son or daughter, or mother or father. But I want to read to you out of Psalm 106, verses 32 and 33. It says, they angered Moses at the waters of Meribah, that place of contention, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter. So you see, the one sin that Moses really entered into, he held on to bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. Jesus said in at least two of the Gospels, if you don't forgive those who have sinned against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your sins. 
I love prophecy. I love revelation. I love healings and miracles. But Jesus never said, they will know you are my disciple by your miracles. He never said, they will know you are my disciples by your revelation. He said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. We have a problem in the body of Christ that it seems like for every uh, two people that that join a church, three people leave. And this is a, a huge problem in the body of Christ right now. And the problem isn't that the teaching and preaching, the worship and all of that isn't good enough. There's a saying I love that if good teaching, preaching, and singing were going to win the world to Christ, it would have been won a long time ago. No, the problem is this one thing that God calls us to get really good at is we sometimes don't think it's quite spiritual enough. Because you think, we think, I'm going to be an intercessor. I'm going to be a prophet. I'm going to be an evangelist. I'm going to be a healer. Well, see, God doesn't so much want to raise up prophets. He wants to raise up a prophetic people, a company. He doesn't so much just want to raise up healers. He wants to raise up healing churches. He doesn't so much just want to raise up evangelists. He wants to raise up evangelistic works, evangelistic people. You see, we are called by the blood of the Lamb into a covenant relationship. And in covenant, that means forever. That means that like marriage vows, we don't just give up on it because after two months or two years, we find that person we married is not Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. But it means in the context of commitment, When romance or friendship is challenged, we have a context for working through the issues of preferring one another. Now, I realize what I'm saying probably to most of you here on a Friday night. I'm probably preaching to the choir, but sometimes the choir has the most sinners. No, he didn't really say that, did he? (laughs) No, I'm messing with you. I'm, I'm, my assumption is the fact that most of you are here on a Friday night, uh, you know, and a lot of you retire from work and busy week and everything else, you know, that there's a high degree of maturity in this room. But yet, I know this, that if we aren't at the point where God can't trust us with the most valuable gifts, which are people, then... Why mess around with just the spiritual gifts? Because God gives us spiritual gifts to serve people. They're not an end in and of itself. Prophecy is not so, oh, I had this vision or I had this dream. Prophecy is to build people up, to encourage people. Healings and miracles, oh, not I move in this authority, but praise God, we saw God heal this person of cancer or diabetes. It's it's not about us. You see, the reality is God can even use a donkey if he wants to. That's, that's not an issue. And it's this one another that this is what we're called to. So the living stones can be fit together to build up the church not made with hands. And so... What disqualified Moses, the miracle worker, this man of great authority and humility, 
was not some gross outward sin, but bitterness, anger of his heart towards people. And I say this because I believe you as a church, and I'm sure there's people here from other churches tonight, I don't feel like this word I'm giving about bringing water to rocks at Edmonton is just for this church, it's for the church of Edmonton. Uh, but as it is with the oil, so it's going to be with the living waters. But I believe that if there is one more threshold for you all to cross before coming into the harvest and the freedom that God has for you, so to speak, to go from the hothouse, a harvest in the hothouse, to a harvest in the harvest fields, it's this, honoring one another, preferring one another, and choosing when offenses come, because offenses are always going to come. It's like that old saying, church would be a great place if it weren't for all the people who go. Offenses are always going to happen. But the difference between a mature Christian and an immature Christian is a mature Christian, when an offense comes, they choose not to take offense. You see, Peter said this, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And so our maturity cannot be reflected by our revelation or our power for healing or miracles. Our Christ-like character is reflected by when offenses come, choosing to look past and see the person for who they are in Christ not what maybe their latest mess-up may have been. Are you still alive? Okay. I want to, at the risk of being repetitive, I would just want to read John 16, 23 to 26 again to you one more time. In that day you will ask nothing of me, but truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, say, ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy might be made full. See, that's the standard for a successful prayer life. That you're seeing so many prayers answered that your joy is made full. I have overcome the world and I have said these things to you in figures of speech. But the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And that's the place where the rubber meets the road. God's heart is to bring water out of rocks, not just a stream, but streams, not just a trickle, but a river. Right here in Edmonton, water out of rocks. He wants to bring a banqueting table for you. And, you know, <clears throat> um, I, I, most of, um, for the last 34 years of our ministry, I, I, I shared I typically travel 130, 140 days a year. Probably 60% of my, my ministry is internationally. I have a very hard and fast rule that when I'm in other countries, uh, when I'm with people in that country, I will ask them questions about what's going on politically, but I never comment on somebody else's nation because, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm not a citizen of that nation. 
Um, there's some things I'd love to ask you about Trudeau, but we just won't go there. Uh, as I'm sure you'd like to ask me some questions about Trump, that uh, you'd have to be more than prophetic to know some of that stuff. But uh, anyway, that's another story. But we all have our issues in our nations. doesn't matter whether you're living in Spain with what happened yesterday. I was in the U.K., um, on the day of uh, Pentecost, we were starting a conference there. And I arrived the day before, the day of Pentecost, and this church in Harrow, they put me in this incredible hotel. It's actually a 130-year-old great mansion that's been uh, uh, made into a very contemporary plumbing, electrical, and really nice hotel. But it's, it's all in the old style. It's got the what's called mullion windows and slate roof, this great big old mansion, beautiful grounds, just acre after acre of lawns, flowers, manicured things, and it's just uh, fountains, all of this. And the house was actually owned by um, uh, Gilbert of Gilbert and Sullivan, the songwriting team. But uh, I'd arrived early in the morning, and uh, it's about 4 o'clock, and I'm sitting out in these grounds. It's a nice sunny day. They have about once a year in London, England. And uh, just enjoying the sunshine, taking this beautiful setting, looking at the trees, the gardens, looking at this beautiful slate roofs and these beautiful house, you know, all that. And uh, back in California, which is uh, nine hours uh, earlier, uh, my wife gets hold of me, and it's now about 5 o'clock in the afternoon in London. And she says, are you, you're in London, right? I said, yes. She said, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in Harrow. And she said, is, you're not near the London Bridge, are you? I said, no, why do you ask? And she said, you haven't been watching the news, have you? And the man or the team had just crashed a car and a bunch of people, and they'd taken knives, and they'd killed a bunch of people right there in the London Bridge. And, uh, you know, this is, unfortunately, it's, it's not an everyday occurrence, but uh, when we look at what's happening now in Europe and the threat of it in North America and things going on, uh, my daughter works in government circles, and she's had a few conversations with some people that work uh, high up um, in uh, <clears throat> statewide security and international and national stuff. And the public does not know even really a hundredth of the attempts that are actually made that are stopped before they get anywhere. There are so many people intent on evil and mayhem and destruction in our culture today. The things that are actually happening, the things we read about that are stopped before they get anywhere, it's, it's not even a tenth of what's actually going on. This is the world we're in today. But I want to tell you, the Word of God says the nation should be given to Christ Jesus as an inheritance. And even in the midst of our enemies, God can bring out a banqueting table. Stand with me if you would. And could I have either a guitarist or a keyboardist come up if you would? Turn to the person next to you and say, Aren't you glad you live in Edmonton? Oh, you don't live in Edmonton. Spruce Grove, okay. I'll tell the people in Edmonton that, that Spruce Grove wants nothing to do with you. Just uh, close your eyes and hold your hands out to the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 37, 38, 39, 
On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Come to me, the rock of salvation. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he said about the Spirit. Just close your eyes and just begin to receive the Holy Spirit right now. And just begin to sing out the name of Jesus. Don't don't worry about whether you have a singing voice or not. Just sing out, speak out the name of Jesus. This name is above all names. Is the only name given by the Father by which salvation comes. It is above every other name. Yeshua, God Himself, has become our salvation. God Himself took the form of humanity, took on our sin, took the torture, the pain, the mocking, the ridicule, the cross that we should have had. He who knew no sin took on our sin. And now, the nations are being given to Him as an inheritance. There is life in that name. There is healing in that name. There is deliverance in that name. There is freedom in that name. In that name, our prayers are answered so that our joy might be made full. Just sing it out a little bit more. Just lift up your voice. King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, Lion of the tribe of Judah, Lamb of God, who by his blood did purchase men from every tribe and tongue and nation. Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, Yeshua. Go ahead, lift it up. Just press in a little bit more. Let's lift the ceiling of this place up tonight. Let's make room for His glory. Jesus. Jesus. Now, I want to ask you to do something. Put a hand over your stomach area. And I want you to pray out loud after me. Father God, you have told us that if we ask for anything in the name of Jesus, you will do it so that our joy might be made full. 
We stand before you tonight. And we say we're thirsty. We're desperate for our lives, for our community, for the city, for the province, for the nation, for the nations. We are desperate for your spirit. Lord, would you bring water out of rocks? I stand before you, Father, of a living stone. Let water come out of this rock. Let it spring up, O wells, unto eternal life. Now just allow the Holy Spirit right where you're at to begin to fill you. You don't need to strive for this. It's the Father's good pleasure. Take in the Holy Spirit. Take in the Holy Spirit. Take in the Holy Spirit. Take in the the Holy Spirit. Take in 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 the Holy Spirit. Streams of living water. Streams of living water. Streams of living water flowing out of your innermost being. Streams of living water. Living waters out of the rocks of Edmonton. Living waters out of the rocks of Edmonton. Living waters out of the rocks right here in Spruce Grove. Living waters flow, flow. Now, the beauty of these, this weekend is we don't need to try to make everything fit in every meeting So there's some meetings where we're going to pray for the sick. There's some meetings we may do some prophetic things. And there's some meetings where some people are going to just be absolutely filled to overflowing with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And if that doesn't happen to you tonight, resist the urge to say, well, God, what am I, chopped liver? (laughs) Be glad for the people who are getting it, but say, Lord, we've got three more meetings to go. (laughs) So God is not going to pass you by. His absolute promise to you is you come to him, the rock of your salvation, as living stones, living water will flow to you too. It's an easy thing for God to do. But right now, there's a number of you, as we've been praying just for a few minutes here, you absolutely feel the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. If that's you, just quickly come to the front if you would. More Holy Spirit. I encourage you to open your heart to receive more because it's actually not receding, it's increasing here. It's increasing. 
as as the response of faith and expectation as uh, people are responding you can feel the energy of the holy spirit so we say holy spirit do what you want to do ha do what you want to do right now we want to say holy spirit we receive not only your servant but that which he represents in the spirit for this time and uh this place and we receive him uh we say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord amen